Welcome to the Bliss Angle. Hi guys, welcome to the Bliss Angle. This is Sarah from the Racy Bliss Institute of Applied Politics, and today my guest is Dr. John Green, director of the Bliss Institute. Dr. Green, thank you for joining me. It's my pleasure. So today we're going to talk about the presidential election. Dr. Green, I, I have to pick up your brain about this presidential election because this is this is one for the books. <laughs> oh, it absolutely is. I, I don't think anybody that I know has ever seen a presidential election like this one. And, and, that, and what that means is it's very hard to predict how the campaign will unfold going forward and what it'll mean on election day because we see in the figure of Donald Trump uh, of someone, a kind of candidate that we just have never seen before, but also beyond Donald Trump, the level of discontent in the country about the political process is at an unprecedented level. We have really good polling data going all the way back to the 1930s. And while Americans have often been unhappy about one thing or another, unemployment, war, and inflation, rarely, if ever, have we seen this level of discontent with the political process itself. And of course, we saw that during the primaries in both political parties, where the conventional wisdom just did not hold. Yeah, that's, that's sad to hear. So where, where are we right now in the pre- presidential election? Donald Trump yesterday came out and said he thinks that we should take care of Hillary Clinton with the Second Amendment. And they were, they were tied for a little bit in swing states, but right now Hillary Clinton's polling ahead. So has Donald, Trump, has Donald Trump's campaign completely tanked? or? Uh, really, no. Um, we're in, a, in an interesting part of the campaign, which is both parties have had their national conventions. This year... They had them in July, which is unusual because in the past, we'd been moving the conventions closer and closer uh, to the general election. And in 2012, both the Democrats and the Republicans had their conventions around Labor Day, which is pretty close to the election. So both parties decided to move it back into July. And one of the effects of a convention in polling is what's called a polling bounce. Uh, Donald Trump got a polling bounce out of uh, the Republican convention in Cleveland. But it, it wasn't as large as it might otherwise have been because the Democratic convention in Philadelphia followed the very next week. And then um, Secretary Clinton has enjoyed a big bounce after, after the Democratic convention. Now, if those two conventions had been a couple of weeks apart, we probably would have seen an analogous bounce for um, the Republicans. But in any event, so here we are in August. The uh, general election campaign has begun because the Major parties have officially nominated their candidates, but it's August. And as any advertiser or marketer would tell you, August is one of the worst months to try to get your message out. First of all, a lot of people are on vacation. We have the Olympics on television, so people are focused on that rather than on the presidential campaign. Um, Now, both uh, Trump and uh, Clinton are campaigning vigorously um, across the country, and Donald Trump has been following his plan from the primaries, which was basically to create controversy and because he gets attention. And sure enough, it, Donald Trump has been dominating the airwaves. Uh, now, not all of that's positive. Uh, some of it's been very, very negative for him, but that's true from the primaries as well. You know, there were many of the controversial statements he made back during the primaries that in the past would have not just ended a candidate's campaign, it probably would have ended their career. And yet, 
Trump continues uh, to roll. And a pretty good example of this is the most recent poll, the Quinnipiac poll that came out here in Ohio, came out just the other day. Um, and it did show uh, Secretary Clinton ahead by about four percentage points, which is about where she was a few weeks before the convention started. And I think this is quite significant because, as we all know, Ohio is the quintessential battleground state. It's a very good bellwether state. And, and what it's showing is despite Donald Trump's unorthodox campaign and despite a very good campaign being run by Secretary Clinton, th they're still really pretty close. Now, as we go forward, I think we'll see a lot of the national polls come back to a, a, a much closer race than right after the Democratic Convention. I think Clinton will be ahead in those polls, but probably just by a few, few percentage points. What's interesting to me about this is Donald Trump is yet to spend any money on the general election. That has been incredibly interesting. And, and uh, now Secretary Clinton and her allies have spent a lot of money, and one of the things they've been able to do is to take, with that money, is to take some of the most controversial things Donald Trump has said and to highlight them. So they're not just a one-day or two-day story. They're a multiple-day story, right, because of the advertising. So it's just going to be really interesting to see what happens when and if uh, Trump starts actually spending some money in the general election. Well, he did raise um, equal amount to Secretary Clinton in July, correct? Yes, he did. He did. And if you look at the totals, the general election totals for both candidates, they're really pretty close right now. Um, now, some of that is raised by the candidates' own campaigns. Some of it is raised in conjunction with the National Party Committees. But that money is spent on the presidential campaign in one way or another. So so you're right. They're, they're pretty even in, in funds. But the thing is, is uh, the Republican Party doesn't know where they want to put the money at right now, correct? Because they don't want to put it in television ads? or Well, there, there's a great debate about uh, among Republicans, and I imagine in the Trump campaign, about what to do with all that money. Typically, we, a lot of that would go on television. But as I mentioned a moment ago, August is not a good time yeah. to be spending a lot of money, and actually um, on television, because people aren't paying as much attention. But now there's another thing they could put their money in, which is building up their grassroots operation. Uh, now that's a little bit of a problem because uh, Donald Trump has not unified the Republican Party, and there are lots of local Republicans who ordinarily would be working very, very hard for their nominee who are just not so sure. And uh, Ohio, again, is a really good example of that. The other day, Governor Kasich, who did not endorse Donald Trump, uh, talked a little bit about Ohio, and, and he said, you know, it's going to be very, very close here. And, um, you know, we're, we Republicans, he said about himself and his allies, are going to have to decide what we want to do. You know, do we just focus on the senatorial race with Senator Portman versus former Governor Strickland? Do we try to get involved in the presidential race? Stay tuned. You know, it's a very ambivalent statement. And I think a lot of Republicans are in that position right now. Um, but, you know, the thing is that despite uh, Clinton breaking ahead, um, she still has lots of negatives with many voters. So I don't think the campaign is over yet. Um, we'll, and we'll have to see what happens in September and how both what we call the air game, right, the um, uh, television advertising, and the ground game, the grassroots mobilizing of voters, develops. And why were the conventions moved up so early this year to July? Well, there, there's two reasons that the conventions were moved up. Uh, one was that the candidates can't actually spend any money that they have raised for the general election until they're the official nominees of their parties. Both parties were worried about that. If they had their conventions in September, 
uh, they might not have any funds to spend in a general election. And this is particularly true for the Republicans. The Republicans were really worried about that because um, in 2012, uh, Mitt Romney, the Republican nominee, was essentially broke. Uh, it, he'd raised a lot of money, but he couldn't spend it until he was nominated. <laughs> so, you know, there, there were some things they really wanted to be doing and couldn't. Why, why did they do that? Why do they hold off on letting them, allowing them to use that money until they're the, nom- they're the actual nominee? Well, in, in the national campaign finance laws set limits on how much any one person or organization can give a candidate, um, and they do it per election. So if you have a primary and a general, you can essentially give twice. And what the candidates have figured out how to do is when they raise money, they raise money for the primary and the general simultaneously. And the Federal Election Commission says that's okay, but you have to keep the general election money segregated and you can't spend it till you're the nominee. Because once you're the nominee, there's a second election, right? And if you're not the nominee, then you have to give the money back. (laughs) So that's really why that happened. And of course this year, with President Obama not being able to run for re-election because he served two terms, the Democrats were a little worried about that too. They wanted to be in a position to access that money that they'd already raised uh, to, to spend it in August. Um, so that's why they moved it earlier. Um, I actually think it was probably a good idea um, just because it, it helped um, get the parties organized earlier. Um, you know, it, the later the campaigns, the c- conventions are, the more we have a kind of um, uh, made-up, make-believe campaign. The candidates have secured the nominations, but they're not yet nominated, so they want to campaign, but they can't quite campaign, so it's a kind of, it's a very confusing time. And we have, we had very little of that this year, basically just the month of June, um, and everybody was getting ready for the convention, so I think it's a much more straightforward process. So we do have two candidates with the lowest uh, or the highest uh, unfavorables in modern times. So wh- how do you think third-party candidates will play out this year? You know, I think there's a real opportunity for minor party candidates to uh, to get more votes than they would normally get because there is such discontent uh, with both of the candidates. You know, we often hear in American politics people will say, well, shoot, you know, neither candidate's perfect. I guess I'll have to vote for the lesser of the two evils. But this year... People really think that because they see uh, negatives on both sides. And there are two um, minor parties in our position to really take advantage of this. Uh, There's the Libertarian Party, whose nominee, Gary Johnson, a former Republican governor of New Mexico, I think has a real opportunity. There are libertarian elements in both the Democratic and the Republican Party that might want to vote for him, partly as a protest vote, but partly as People genuinely would agree with his with his position. And then there's Jill Stein and the Green Party, uh, which probably draw a little more from the Democrats, but they're Republican environmentalists as well. So if you put those two together, in recent polls they've been running about 15% of the electorate. Um, if uh, one of them by themselves were to get 15%, then they'd be in the debates with uh, Clinton and Trump. And boy, wouldn't that be interesting. The last time that happened, was when Ross Perot ran in, in 1992, and he also was included in the debate. So it'll be very interesting. But th- this should be a good year for the Green Party and the Libertarian Party. So there's more talk that Gary Johnson will be on the debate stage with Donald Trump and uh, Secretary Clinton, and not so much for Jill Stein. If Jill Stein pulls higher, though, she, w- she would be put on the debate stage? Yeah, sure. It, it, the way the debates are organized, and they're basically organized by the news media, 
and uh, they have a national civic organization that puts it together, but it's basically uh, for the news media. They want what they would consider serious candidates, and we can argue with their definition, but the definition is you have to be polling at least 15%. So for uh, Stein to be on the, uh, on the stage with the other candidates, she'd have to get 15 as well. Uh, but Gary Johnson's better known. You know, he was a governor. He ran for president. Uh, he's been campaigning a long time. And also the Libertarian Party is well organized in many states. They don't win, any, win many elections, of course, but they're very well organized uh, because the Libertarian philosophy appeals to many people. The third party candidates will not, you don't think they'll end up winning a state though, right? Well, you know, when Ross Perot ran in, in 1992, he got 19% of the general election vote. Which and didn't was, win a state. Though. And he didn't win a single state. And I don't think that either uh, the Libertarian candidate or the Green Party candidate will win any states. Even though Gary Johnson's polling so high in Utah? You know, it, it's possible, but I just don't think it's that likely in the end. But um, they, what they can determine is which of the major party candidates wins a lot of states. And Ohio's a good example of that. Um, Gary Johnson and, and Jill Stein may very well take votes away, enough votes away from Clinton or Trump to allow the other one uh, to win because it's such a competitive state. Um, but no, we'll see. I mean, there are areas where uh, those uh, points of view are prominent. So, um, you know, who knows? Um, it, a lot depends on how the fall campaign unfolds. Do you think this will change the structure of the party system in America with these two candidates having such high unfavorables and the third party candidates polling? Well, I, I think that there is the possibility that the major party coalitions will be rearranged. Um, and that can happen regardless of who wins. So let's just imagine for the moment, because Secretary Clinton's ahead in the polls, that she ends up winning. Maybe very close, but she ends up winning. But one reason she might win is she might attract a lot of well-educated, affluent women, who many of whom have tended to vote Republican. But at the same time, she might lose working-class white men. And so for the next presidential election, you might think, well, the Democratic Party would be even more of a, of a party of women and the uh, Republican Party even more a party of men than they currently are. So you could see rearrangements of that nature. Uh, but the, ult the ultimate test is whoever is elected, how do they govern? Because that's what really changes party coalitions. You know, if Donald Trump were elected and he did a really good job, a lot of people don't think he will, but maybe he would, mm -hmm. then that would probably have even a more profound effect. But by the same token, if he got in and he was not good at all, <laughs> you know, that, that could, could really create big change as well. So the, the direction of the party is more so determined on how they would lead after they are elected into office? Yeah, it, the, um, you know, campaigns are important because they provide choices and information to voters, but the most durable impacts are the impacts of governing. So let me just give you an example. Um, the economy has recovered under President Obama, and many people now have a, f a fairly favorable view of President Obama's job performance. And many of those people are inclined, who think, who see the economy as having recovered, they're inclined to vote Democratic. But of course, the economy is not recovered as rapidly as some people anticipated. And many of the people who are supporting Donald Trump are folks, rightly or wrongly, who believe that the economy has not recovered, at least for them. So the backdrop of the election is really 
what happened when President Obama was president. Now, it's a little different because he can't be on the ballot again, right? So he has to try to transfer the positives to Secretary Clinton and try to avoid the negatives. So, so governing turns out to be really important when it comes to how people vote. Yeah, I saw a tweet by Bill Crystal, and he actually said that one of uh, the good consequences coming out of Trump, because he was leading the Never Trump movement, and he said one of the good consequences coming out of this Trump candidacy is the Republicans don't look like they're the party of, Democrats look like they're more hawkish than Republicans now. I think that's true. And um, the and for some voters, that's a very, that's a very appealing thing. But uh, of course, it doesn't appeal to everybody. Um, so I think it's going to be a, a if Ohio's any judge, and it, usually it's been a really good way to judge elections. I think it'll be a very close election, and um, we'll just see ultimately who can turn out the vote. If the election were held today, which it isn't, but if it were being held today, I would say that the Democrats have an advantage there, because Secretary Clinton has a good relationship with the local Democratic parties in Ohio. Uh, Donald Trump does not have a particularly good relationship with their Republican counterparts. But who knows what can happen by Election Day. Things may have changed. And we don't know how news events may affect uh, the election. Another terrorist attack, heaven forbid, some other kind of uh, event might uh, change a lot of minds. So I think uh, the campaign is well worth watching, but we're just in the initial innings of this ballgame. Yeah, and purely on anecdotal evidence, um, I feel like there's a lot of closet Trump supporters, and while Hillary Clinton has a lot of the media, like, t- she has a lot of, she has governors and state representatives and senators all behind her, and whereas Donald Trump, more people are hesitant, the party establishment's hesitant to back him, there's a lot of closet Trump supporters that could sway this election where we where the Democratic Party thinks that they have it in the bag, they'll easily win this. When Trump has a real chance of winning that they're not realizing. You know, because Donald Trump is such an unconventional candidate, he's very difficult to assess. And I think you're right. I think there are a group of um, closet Trump supporters, or another way to call it is possible Trump supporters, maybe who are not entirely uh, ready to, to back him, but um, are not very happy with, with Secretary Clinton and very unhappy with the world in general. And, of course, that's part of what campaigns are about, is you, we make choices. And uh, it, many of those individuals are going to have to decide over the next um, 100 days or so, I guess it's less than that, more like 90 days yeah. now, um, about um, you know, what, what they're going to do. And you know, they could vote Democrat or Republican. They could vote for a minor party. Or, frankly, they could decide to stay home. And one of the things that uh, is interesting a lot of people is what will turnout look like when you have such high levels of negativity uh, with, with the major party candidates. Uh, we may see an unusually low turnout, um, which, of course, has its own impact. Yeah, um, I was reading how we, we've been paying attention to the horse race the entire time, but all that mat- the only poll that matters is the poll that's taken on November 8th. That's right. Um, and, you know, we can make all kinds of predictions and all kinds of assumptions and all kinds of scenarios, but ultimately it's who turns out and votes and, and that'll determine the outcome. And who wants to make America great again. <laughs> <laughs> that too. <laughs> Thank you so much for um, letting me pick at your brain, Dr. Green. You uh, always are in, uh, have words of wisdom on what's going on in politics, so thank you so much. You're very welcome.